But it's great to see everybody this morning. Uh, over the past group of weeks, we've been looking at this concept of calling, and we've been talking about this idea of why not you. And somebody the other night asked me um, something about our current series, and I said, you know how I kind of view this series as we're, we're working through a variety of scriptures and a variety of topics as we go throughout the course of the summer months? I, I almost look at each week as how can we eliminate one more excuse? That's kind of how I, how I look at it in my mind. What's another excuse that we can eliminate, an excuse that gets in the way of us just simply saying yes to the Lord and yes to the, to the calling or the unction that he's placed on our hearts in specific ways? And so we're going to do that again today. We're, gonna, we're just going to uh, eliminate excuses one at a time. And today what we're going to talk about is this idea of daring yourself to do what others won't. And we're going to be looking at a portion of Scripture that I take a lot of personal inspiration from in 1 Corinthians 9. We're going to look at selections from it. But in 1 Corinthians 9, you're going to see the Apostle Paul enunciate a few things. And one of the things that, you, that you'll see him enunciating in that portion of Scripture is the fact that there are certain things he could do, that he would be totally within his right to do, but he chooses not to do them because he knows that it would be beneficial for the advancement of the gospel overall, if he sacrificed some of his preferences, if he chose to do things that were a little bit more difficult, if he didn't take the easy path. And he could have taken a little bit of an easier path than what he chose during the course of his ministry, but he chose to do something that was demonstrably harder because he felt like that was specifically what he was called to do and how he was called to do it. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 today. We're going to be talking about this idea of daring yourself to do what others won't. And we're going to start with verse 3. I'm going to read verses 3 through 7, and then we're going to jump down to verse 15, and I'll read down to verse 19. So 1 Corinthians 9, starting with verse 3, this is what it says. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? And then jump down to verse 15 where he says, But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. And then we'll end with verse 19 where he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to come together this morning to start off our week worshiping you. We're grateful, Lord, for the the moments of prayer we've been able to enjoy together. We're grateful for the singing that we've already enjoyed together. We're grateful for the mission updates and the fellowship that we enjoy this morning of 
of uh, friends that are here typically and friends that are here as guests. And we're just grateful for all of these things, Lord, reminding us of the union that we have with you through the work of your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that now as we take a look at this portion of your word, that you'd help us to understand all the things that are explained to us here. Lord, we know that there are things here that we can take great inspiration from and, and receive great guidance from. And Lord, there's a different way of living that's demonstrated for us in this portion of Scripture. And so, Lord, we pray that we would take these things to heart and that we would be courageous as we seek to do what you've called us to do in the midst of a generation that sometimes doesn't understand and maybe even sometimes is hostile to what you've called us to do. So, Lord, we pray that you would eliminate excuses one at a time from our lives over the course of the weeks as we look at these various Scriptures that we're looking at related to calling. And we pray that you give us your wisdom and your insight and that our hearts would be inspired to be obedient to you as you open up doors for us to walk through. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all of these things. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So you don't have to answer this out loud, but I I just want you to be thinking about something uh, as we kind of set up what we're about to look at from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. But do you enjoy your present vocation... Or is it something that you continue to do because maybe it's familiar, somewhat safe, and sufficient to pay the bills? You ever kind of wrestle with that? You know, do do, do you enjoy it or is it something you just kind of do because it's familiar, sufficient to pay the bills? Is that a good enough reason to continue doing what you do? Or do you occasionally find yourself daydreaming of taking your life in a different direction, maybe a direction that's a little bit more in line with what you feel your calling happens to be? And I bring that up because I'm I'm actually friends with a man who spent the past two decades teaching at a Christian college out in the Midwest. He's a godly man. He's somebody that that I've had the opportunity to to know and observe for a period of time. And uh, somebody I really appreciate, somebody that I I think is uh, a, a big encouragement to me in my faith. I think he's a gifted communicator. I think he's a gifted teacher. But over the years, it started to become very clear to him, particularly as the Lord's opened up different doors and people have affirmed this in his life, that his real calling is to write. So he and I will chat about different things that we're writing and and have developed a good friendship. But he's actually looking at writing specifically as his calling. So on the side, he started writing books. And then other people started reaching out to him for assistance in writing their book. So that kind of became like a, like a continuation of what he was doing. And then some of the high-profile business clients that he was working with actually began hiring him to ghostwrite their books for them, which he was happy to do. And I don't know if you're familiar with ghostwriting, but you, you do realize that half the books that you see in a bookstore, you ever notice that, that uh, all of a sudden somebody will run for political office and before you know it, they have a book that came out and you're like, wait a second, you just declared your candidacy two weeks ago. How did that book get written? Do you think that book's actually written by them? I'm just, just curious at what you think. They, they, they say that, that uh, a large percentage of celebrity-written books aren't actually written by the celebrity. Well, I happen to know somebody who does that for a living. And, uh, and he has had multiple people ask him to ghostwrite various books that they wanted produced. They gave him the idea. He ghost wrote it, and, uh, and now it's out there. And uh, in time, uh, what this friend ended up doing, he developed a membership for other budding writers to join, and so dozens of people signed up and started learning from him. And then between his ghost writing, 
between his monthly membership and between the other things that he was working on, including the, his own materials that he had produced, it had become clear to him that if he wanted to, he could make a career transition that was more in line with what he felt his calling was, specifically to write. He's felt like it was his calling for a long time, but he didn't pursue it fully yet. But the only problem with making that kind of career transition was that it didn't feel safe. That's very unpredictable. It's not a very safe thing to go from one thing to another. His work as a college professor felt secure, but going out on his own didn't. So what would you do if you were him? And keep in mind, this wasn't just a preference, he was starting, and it wasn't just a sub-thing, he was starting to feel like this was actually what God was calling him to devote his life for, or to devote his life to, his vocation to, uh, but he was really wrestling with what this was going to look like. So what would you have done if you were in that situation? Because he was getting very close to this being something that could actually become his full-time living. Well, just recently, he looked at his situation and he decided that he didn't want to spend the rest of his life doing something that he felt no longer matched what he felt most gifted to do. So he actually submitted his resignation letter to that college, and he decided to invest in himself and decided to invest in his writing business. And as a result, almost immediately, his business began growing even more. Uh, He also has more time for his wife and his family, And many of his peers now, particularly in that that college context, have started seeking his counsel because they're trying to develop the courage to do similar things to what they've seen him doing. And so he kind of stepped out on faith and, and tried to be obedient to the calling God had placed on his life, and now other people are being inspired by that. And I bring that up because in this world, there's a path that seems very predictable and it seems very safe, and it's a path that most people choose. Most people choose predictable. Most people choose safe. They choose the path, you know, maybe with their vocation that kind of falls into that category. I think some people in regard to their spiritual life choose a path that's really along the lines of predictable and safe, meaning they would just prefer to walk by sight. They don't really want to step their toe too far into walking by faith and what that might look like. But what ends up happening is that the predictable and safe path shows you that it could do some things for you, but there's one thing it can never do. It can't stretch your faith. It doesn't stretch your faith. It is predictable. It is safe. It is visible. It's not stretching. Few people would be willing to choose the path my friend chose, even if it became clear to them that that's what God wanted them to do. And I bring that up in light of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, because I want us to be asking a question along the lines of, what about us? Would we listen to the voice of God if he started leading us in an unfamiliar direction? Would we dare to do what others won't do? And here you have Paul facing a very similar dilemma, and so he reveals a lot of things about that here in 1 Corinthians 9. I actually think 1 Corinthians 9 is a very transparent portion of Scripture on behalf of the Apostle Paul as the Holy Spirit inspired him to write these things down. And there's some principles here. There's four particular principles that I want us to take out of the portion of Scripture that we're looking at today. And one of those principles starts in verse 3, where I think Paul demonstrates for us that we should be willing to sacrifice our rights to make the most of our privileges. Now, what do I mean by that? What does it mean to sacrifice your rights to make the most of your privileges? Well, let me reread verses 3 through 6, because Paul says it this way. He says, this is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? 
Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of, our, of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Now, I want you to think about the, the Apostle Paul's ministry and the nature of what he was engaged in. When Paul was engaged in the work of his ministry, he experienced a variety of challenges. Some of those were, were quite considerable. Uh, he was challenged by hostile people in a hostile culture. He was also routinely questioned by those who should have eagerly supported the work that he was doing. Paul was also highly conscious of the fact that everything he did might become a pattern that church leaders and evangelists would copy in the short term and maybe even eventually copy in the long term. So he also wanted to make sure that his decisions did not get in the way of the gospel being received by unbelieving people. So this was a variety of things that Paul had on his mind. This is a variety of things that Paul was experiencing as far as challenges in the midst of that culture. And so Paul looked at his situation and he lifted it up before the Lord in prayer quite regularly. And with this in mind, he chose to forego making use of some of his rights. He looked at his situation, he said, you know, I kind of have the right to this and I have the right to this but I'm going to forego making use of those rights because I don't want them to get in the way of the gospel being proclaimed in this generation. Now, what were some of the rights that Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 9? Well, one of the things was he had the right to earn an income from the work that he was doing to serve the church, but he decided not to make use of that right. He thought, I'm not going to use that. I'm not going to make use of that right. He also had the right to get married, but he chose to remain single. Now, why did he choose to remain single? Even though he had the right to get married, he could get married. He even listed the fact that, you know, that, that others brought a believing wife along with them as they were doing their ministry. And he, he, he had the opportunity, he had the, 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 the right to get married, but he chose not to. Well, he did so, he chose to refrain from getting married because he, he felt like it would give him more time to preach the gospel and disciple. And when you look at what Paul's life looked like going forward, where you have multiple imprisonments, and then eventually you have execution, I think Paul kind of had in mind that that might be a lot to put a family through, that might be a lot to put his wife through, and so he chose not to marry. He made a regular habit of sacrificing his rights in order to make the most of his privilege to preach the gospel and to plant churches and to train leaders. This was what Paul was devoted to, and it was very clear to him that this was the calling that he was given. Now, when I, when I look at 1 Corinthians 9, it's one of my favorite chapters of Scripture. I really like seeing the example that the Apostle Paul gives us, because I think sometimes in this world, we get overly focused on our rights to the point where we turn our rights into personal idols. And we go through life thinking that we can just start barking out the fact that I deserve this and I, start, I, I deserve this. And that's not really a healthy spot for our minds to land on because we can start worshiping the benefits that might come our way for doing what we're called to do instead of worshiping the Lord who gives us the opportunity to serve. And so I love seeing this mindset on display here in these passages because I find it inspiring, and I hope we're all encouraged by it, because I think in life, in general, I think we're tempted at times to throw a fit when we don't get our way. I think frequently we get upset when we feel like maybe we aren't getting what we deserve. But here you have the Apostle Paul taking a different approach. The Lord was allowing him to see the bigger picture of what was going on. Paul became convinced that in the long run, it was worth it for him to resist insisting on his rights. 
And so he gave most of those things up so he could spend his time and so he could spend his energy making the most of the privilege that he was given to help others come to know Jesus. And he kept that grander goal in mind throughout the course of his ministry. So he was willing to sacrifice his rights to make the most of his privileges. I think there's an example for us there as well, that we would sacrifice our rights to make the most of our privileges that Christ would receive the glory. But there's something else that Paul brings up here that I want to show to us, and that's this. If you look at verses 15 and 16, he shows us what it looks like to become so devoted to your calling that it would actually violate your conscience to abandon it. Now, let me even say this before I, I read this here. Do you ever violate your conscience? I already know the answer to this, so I'm, it's kind of a, just a rhetorical question, right? I, I, I doubt that anyone in the congregation is going to be like, what is this violate your conscience thing that you're speaking of? I have not done this thing, right? It, we as human beings have all at times violated our conscience. Uh, I have done that. You have done that. And I'd love to say that every opportunity that I have had or every, um, every moment of violating my conscience was only a long time ago. Do you ever hear that? When, uh, sometimes I get a kick out of that when, when uh, I hear preachers preach and all their sins are so long ago that they're ancient history. It's like, wow, good for you. Like, I'm so glad you overcame that, you know, that at this point in your life, you don't struggle with sin anymore, right? I would love to tell you that at no point in my life uh, presently do I violate my conscience, but I have to admit to you that I'm still very much a sinner who needs Jesus every single day. And one of the things he's helping me with is to, to learn that there are consequences for violating your conscience, and it certainly doesn't make me feel good. And at times, I have identified that, that uh, one of the things that the Lord has, has taught me is that if I violate my conscience and then I don't feel so good afterward that I could tie that violation of my conscience to the depression that I feel afterward. So I don't think I'm like, like totally, fo- uh, totally um, prone to fits of depression, but I have noticed at different times of my adult life, there are seasons I've gone through that I'm like, no, I genuinely feel depressed. And I think, why do I feel so depressed? And almost every time that I, I've gone through a season like that, if I look close enough, I can find something, I can find some area where in the present I have violated my conscience, and I don't like that. And so I'm grateful that the Lord has, um, that he's made that clear to me, because I think that it's an extra motivator not to go in the direction where we're ignoring the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I love that what Paul demonstrates here for us is this demonstration of, of the fact that you can become so devoted to listening to the voice of God. You can become so devoted to to obeying when he gives you an opportunity to obey, that you become conscious of the fact that it would actually violate your conscience to disobey his calling. And look at what he says, the way he phrases it here in verses 15 and 16. He says, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. And then he says it this way. I love this line. He says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So you see what he's getting at there. He says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, meaning this is something specifically I've been called to do, and woe to me if I choose to forsake it. Now, let me kind of put this on us quickly here. How would you finish this sentence? So just finish this in your mind. 
I will feel guilty if I don't devote my life to what? I will feel guilty if I don't devote my life to what? How, how would you finish that sentence? Just pause for a second, let you think. I would feel guilty if I don't devote my life to fill in the blank. Have you been gifted to do something specific? Has the Lord been opening up doors for you to accomplish things for his glory? If you ask Paul to finish that sentence, what do you think he would say? He would tell you that his conscience would feel troubled if he did not take opportunity to preach the gospel. If he stopped preaching the gospel, his conscience would be violated. He knew without a doubt that this is what Jesus had called him to do. So discomfort wasn't going to stop him. Poverty wasn't going to prevent him. Imprisonment couldn't shut him up. The only thing that seemingly stopped him was execution, but there's some irony in the fact that Paul was eventually executed for preaching the gospel. All that really did was demonstrate the depth of his convictions and the fact that he actually truly believed what he was preaching. And now uh, it's, it's interesting because as those things that he was preaching are included for us in the New Testament, those words are now proclaimed from pulpits all throughout the world. So was Paul really was he really shut up by execution? No. All we do is echo the words the Holy Spirit gave him to say, and we do it over and over again through the centuries until Christ returns. I still remember the very first time I was given the opportunity to preach a sermon, and I was so nervous ahead of time that, uh, that I actually went to the church the night before and preached the sermon three times out loud to an empty building. I literally did that. I was in college. The pastor had asked me to preach for him. I said yes, but I had never preached before, and I was extremely nervous, and I was going to be preaching on James chapter 1, and I, had a, I was the youth director at the church. I had a key to the building, but I didn't turn the lights on because I didn't want anyone to know that I was over there at the church, and I went over to the church, and I stood up in the pulpit. I thought, I don't want to be all nervous, and I knew my whole family was coming down. It was a church in, in Hatboro, so not too far away from here. And I knew my whole family was coming down, my grandparents were coming down, my siblings were coming down, my parents were coming down. Basically, everyone who had ever made any investment in my life whatsoever up to that point were coming down to see this. I had never done it before, no pressure, right? And, uh, and I remember thinking, all right, I, I don't know how to sleep. And so it was late in the evening, and I, I just thought, I need to go over there and I need to just preach. And so I started preaching that message, and I did it once. I was like, ah, I think you need to do it again. I did it again, and then I preached it a third time, and I'm really glad that there is no recording of that message because I feel very confident that it probably would not have been my finest moment in a pulpit. But I had to get over those nerves, and, um, and I remember afterward, after, after taking the opportunity to do so, it was like the Lord had flicked a switch on in my mind and had revealed something to me about myself and about how He had called me that up to that point, I really think I was resisting in a variety of ways. It became very clear to me in that moment and soon afterward that he wanted me to share the gospel, that he wanted me to teach his word, that he wanted me to, to communicate the hope that we have in his son, Jesus Christ, through every means that he made available to me. And so in that, in, since that time, you know, that was when I was in college, since that time I've had the opportunity to do so from pulpits, I've had the opportunity to do so on radio, podcasts, books, whatever it may be. I know that he's given me a mouth and fingers that type. My sisters would tell you that the Lord gave me two mouths, right? That's why they're not invited to our worship services on Sunday. Um, 
But the point being, if he gives you a mouth, if you're a mouth in his kingdom, be a mouth that gives glory to Jesus. Don't run from that your whole life. If you're a hand, be a hand that gives glory to Christ. If you're feet, be feet that give glory to Christ. And I, I love when you look at Paul's statement here where he says, he's basically saying, woe to me if I don't do what God's called me to do. It's going to be a direct violation of my conscience if I don't do my task in the kingdom. If I don't do this, who's supposed to do it? If I don't do it, if you don't do it, who's, is it always supposed to be somebody else? And so he says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So he was at the point where he realized it would be a violation of his conscience to be disobedient to the Lord's calling on his life. So I, I throw this stuff out there to just kind of ask you to wrestle with the thought, has the Lord made your calling clear to you? And sometimes that's a process, right, over time, how specifically he's opening up doors for us to serve. And he opens up different doors for each of us to serve so that we'll serve him in ways that are complementary. It doesn't all have to be the exact same thing. But has the Lord been making your calling clear to you? Are you devoted to that mission? Would it be a violation of your conscience for you to abandon or forsake that calling? Paul was at the spot where he could say it would be a violation of his conscience for him to abandon that calling, but he didn't always understand that that was his calling. That was something that he developed an understanding of a little bit into his life. Early in his life, he, didn't, he couldn't even imagine himself preaching the gospel. And here he's saying, woe to me if I don't do it. Something else he brings up here that I think is extremely beneficial for us as believers in Christ, and I think can be a real mindset shift for many of us, is the fact that our calling is a stewardship that we've been blessed to share. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, look at what Paul says when you look at verses 17 and 18. He says, For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship, meaning I'm caring for something that doesn't actually belong to me. So in verse 18, he says, What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may, I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Uh, just this past week, I was given the opportunity to speak at a church that has been in decline for several decades. So Thursday evening, uh, I spoke at a church in, and I don't think they would mind me referencing which church it happened to be. Uh, this was in Shemokin, Pennsylvania. So have you ever been to Shemokin, Pennsylvania? Tell me that's not the coolest town name, right? Shemokin, right? It's like, that's a, that's a cool place. It's Shemokin, Right? And um, it actually happens to be 15 minutes away from one of my favorite places on earth, Knobles Amusement Resort. And so my youngest daughter, Julia, decided that she would take the ride with me. We went three hours early so that we could get food, and uh, then we had some extra time. And we were looking at the clock, and I thought, you know, I have to speak at this church in an hour, but I think we have time to go on a roller coaster. You want to do it? And she's like, yeah, I want to do it. And so it was so funny. We're sitting on the roller coaster, and I'm looking at this, and it's like 55 minutes before I have to stand in a pulpit and preach. And I said, in 55 minutes, I have to stand and preach, but right now I'm sitting on a roller coaster filled with fried food next to my youngest daughter. I was like, Julia, this is a very strange hour. A lot of interesting things have happened in this one hour span of time. And it, was, it cracked me up. 45 minutes later, there we were at the church, and I'm standing there, and I thought, wow, 45 minutes ago, I was on a roller coaster. It's not often you can do that. But I was speaking there, and, and one of the things that they're wrestling with is, is their church has been really struggling for a, a, 
honestly, for decades. And they openly said at the meeting, you know, it's, it was no secret, they said the glory days of that ministry were a long time ago, many decades ago. They said that those were the glory days of the ministry. And so as I met with the leaders, one of the things that I reminded them of and wanted to encourage them with the knowledge of was the fact that they are temporary stewards of that ministry. They're temporary stewards of that ministry, meaning it's not their church in the sense that they have possession of it, right? Christ is the head of the church. This is Christ's church. The church belongs to Jesus, and he has graciously allowed them for a period of time to be the ones who oversee that local ministry. Just like decades ago, decades ago, there were other people that oversaw that local ministry. And just like we hope in decades to come, there will be other people overseeing that ministry. So they are the temporary stewards of that ministry in the sense that it doesn't belong to them. It belongs to Jesus, but they get to oversee it as a privilege, as an opportunity for a very brief season of earth's history. And then they pass it on to somebody else. By God's grace, new leaders will come. And I I mention that as an example because I I think it's useful for us to look at pretty much most, if not almost everything in our life as, you know, whether it be the opportunities that we've been given or the talents we've been blessed with or the gifts that we've been supernaturally equipped with, to just have a stewardship mindset where we say, all right, these are not things that actually belong to me. These are things that for a period of time I'm given the opportunity to use for Christ's glory. These aren't things that I'm allowed to selfishly possess. I temporarily have stewardship of them, but they actually belong to the Lord. And Paul could see that his ability to make the gospel known in that generation, he refers to this as a stewardship that he's been entrusted with. A stewardship, the ability to speak, the ability to think clearly the ability to experience the the power of the Holy Spirit working through him to accomplish miraculous things in that generation. This was a stewardship he had been entrusted with. And I bring that up because I'm just curious, do we see our calling or the equipping that the Lord's given to us to accomplish that calling, do we see that as a stewardship as well? And if so, it's a stewardship that we've been entrusted with, that we would glorify Christ and serve others with. It's not to be selfishly held on to like it belongs to us. It's meant to be used to serve other people so that Christ is glorified. And so you look at Paul's mindset in regard to his ministry, and he did some unique things. Paul did not demand the right to earn an income from the work that he was doing even though he actually deserved one. It's not like Paul was sitting on his hands. He was working. He was doing the things he was called to do. But he knew the broader ramifications of his ministry. And he knew that that demanding an income during that generation, while he was one of the first generation of people that were proclaiming the gospel, might actually be something that could be a hindrance for some people listening to the gospel because they might look at this and say, Paul's motive for doing this is that he gets paid. Paul's motive for doing this is to get money. So Paul realized, yeah, I technically have the right to earn a living from the work that I'm doing. However, I'm going to to forego that right. I'm going to make use of the opportunity that I've been given as a privilege, and I'm going to be a steward of a blessing that's been given to me, and I'm just going to share it freely. So he made peace with that concept in his mind, and he took great joy in presenting the gospel free of charge. That was his mindset, and that's the action that he took. 
So I think as you and I operate as obedient stewards of our calling, we can adopt that same kind of attitude. So in your case, or in my case, we might be tangibly rewarded for the work that we do, or we may not be tangibly rewarded for the work that we do. But that's not the greater point. Jesus taught us that it's better to give than it is to receive. So I think we're called to be generous with what he's given us to share. I have to be very generic as I share this example, but it was something that the Lord reminded me of a few years ago, and I can't be super specific about it. Um, but I was, called to sp- uh, I was invited uh, at the last minute to speak at a, a leadership conference uh, some years ago. And uh, they needed somebody very quickly, and so they asked if I would do so. And I thought, yeah, and it didn't involve much travel or anything like that, and, and I, had the opportun- I had the time to do it, and so I agreed to do it. So I went and I spoke at it. Now, typically, you would expect that if, if you go somewhere and you, you, you bail out something that, that needs help, that they might give you like an honorarium or, or something like that, those of you that have been involved in speaking or doing things. Wouldn't that seem kind of reasonable, you know, if you go and you speak at something, that there might be like an honorarium? It wasn't like I was expecting anything like that, but in the back of my mind, I, I guess maybe I was to a little degree. And, um, and then afterward, I, I was given a card and I thought, oh, that's nice. And so later on, later that day, I opened the card. I just assumed it was probably an honorarium to thank me for coming and speaking at, at this event. And there was an honorarium in it. It was a, a gift card to Dunkin' Donuts for $5. So. <laughs> and I, I looked at that, and I was like, all right, I don't know what my expectation was, but I do like Dunkin'. <laughs> and so I, I thought, okay. I thought, well, well, that's all right, though. And, uh, and, and so I, I just kind of chuckled about it because sometimes you think, oh, you're going to get... Well, it, here's the other thing. This, this kind of cracked me up because at that conference, there, there was a, another um, uh, you know, ministry that, that had said, hey, you know, we, we heard you at that conference. We want to in, invite you to help do some training for something that we're doing, too. And I said, okay. And then they gave me an honorarium that was the most generous honorarium I've ever received. So isn't that kind of funny? I, I just thought to myself, I, it, like, it's just interesting how sometimes the Lord will just kind of take care of you on the back end sometimes, too. You know, you're, just, you're thinking, oh, all right, well, you know, today we served and we, we received coffee. And, and then next time you serve, and, and maybe it'll be something a bit more generous. But the idea is, the thing that I like about what Paul was doing here is his motive was what? It wasn't for earthly reward. It wasn't for what he could, he could just like gather from the people he was trying to serve. The idea was he was looking at what he was doing as a stewardship and an opportunity to just share it freely. And don't you think that our Lord is generous? I mean, when I, when I look at just even the concept of grace, and I see all the different ways that the Lord has blessed me in my life that I don't deserve... Don't you think it's just better to just have a generous mindset of just saying, you know what, Lord, whatever you give me, I'm just going to share, and I'm not going to spend my life worrying about and being fussy about all those details. I'm just going to share what you bless me with. And then on the other end, you get to see all the different ways that the Lord chooses to bless you anyway, even though you weren't looking for some of those tangible blessings. I just think it's very interesting and very insightful when you look at what Paul says here and his mindset that was undergirding his ministry. I think it's inspiring. 
And there's one other thing that he points out here, and this is where I want to finish up today. We think about this idea of daring to do what other people won't, because we live in a world where everyone wants to demand what they think they have coming to them. And here, we have the opportunity to do what other people won't do. And here, Paul demonstrates for us one last thing that I want to highlight, and that's in verse 19, where he shows us that there's a side of life you'll only see once you serve somebody else. There is a side of life you will only see once you serve somebody else. And this is what he says in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 9. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. I love that line. For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. I've said this before, but I'll say it again because I was thinking of it and looking at that passage this week. But they say serving others always sounds very glamorous, right up to the point where someone actually treats you like a servant, right? Right up to the point where someone actually treats you like a servant. Servanthood sounds so glamorous. And then someone actually treats you like a servant, and you realize, oh, it's not that glamorous. Servanthood is not a glamorous mindset, but it is a good mindset. And there's a side of life that you'll only see if you serve somebody else. Have you ever noticed the change that occurs in a person's mindset or life once they start having children? You ever notice this? It changes someone to have to spend all day, every day, focusing on the health and safety and spiritual development and care of another person. That changes you. That has a changing effect on somebody else. It produces a new level of maturity. And I think it can strip away areas. I know for me, I've, I've watched the Lord use parenthood to strip away areas in my life where I think I would have been overly self-focused. And out of necessity, I just couldn't because there were other lives that my wife and I had to be focused on. We couldn't be focused on a variety of things for ourselves. And so you just watch as the Lord kind of strips some of those things away. And I think the Lord was teaching the Apostle Paul what it meant to have the heart of a servant as he was going community to community, city city to city, place to place, serving other people. Paul was being taught what that means. And that's why Paul was able to say that he was willing to be a servant to all people. The Lord was inspiring Paul to understand something deeper. Paul wanted to win them over to Christ. So because his ultimate goal was to win these people over to Christ and to show them who Jesus was, he decided that he was willing to sacrifice his preferences and he was willing to humble himself in uncomfortable ways in order to do so. Why was Paul willing to do this? Why was he willing to do all of this? Well, he's willing to do this because that's exactly what Jesus had done for him. This wasn't something that Paul just thought up out of thin air. This is exactly what Jesus had done for him. When we observe the ministry of Jesus Christ, we see Jesus doing what no one else would do, and we see Jesus doing what no one else could do. So Jesus lived the perfect life because we couldn't. So any of us that tries to pretend to one another that we're currently living the perfect life, that's almost like saying, I don't actually need Jesus. I'm fine on my own. It's like, oh, good for you. What's it like to lie to yourself all the time? (laughs) Jesus lived the perfect life because we couldn't. Jesus died on the cross to atone for our sin because he was the only one without sin of his own. So if he didn't do it, it wasn't getting done. He did it because nobody else would or could do that very thing. Jesus rose from the grave to secure victory over death. 
and He graciously secures that and, and shares that with everyone who trusts in Him. Everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ gets to experience the victory that Jesus secured over death. He did what others wouldn't do. He did what others couldn't do. And there's a side of life that you'll only see once you serve somebody else, and Jesus is the one who set the pace for us. Jesus is the one who set the example for that. Understanding what Jesus has done for us is life-altering. And when you see what motivated Paul, you can see he was genuinely motivated by what Christ had done for him, and he wanted other people to meet Christ in the process. You have Paul's life, you have Paul's attitude changed by the work of Christ. And I think our lives are changed as well as we entrust ourselves to Christ, as we trust Jesus to be Lord of all aspects and all areas of our lives, when we stop saying, I'm going to go through life selfishly demanding everything I want, and instead say, you know what, Lord, I'm here for a brief time. Everything you've entrusted me with is a stewardship. I'm simply going to use it to glorify your name and to bless your people, because I want other people to come to know you as well. You've given me hope beyond this moment. i got to tell you, over the course of... uh, uh, the past year and a half when this world lost its collective mind, it, it reminded me, you know what, I'm glad I'm just visiting here. Do you ever have moments like that over the past year and a half? I'm like, we've gone nuts. I am glad I'm only here for a short period of time. Let's do a good job, try and make some of it fun, but I'm glad that I can see beyond it. Paul could see beyond it. And I think that's why he was willing to dare to do what other people weren't doing, because there were people that couldn't see beyond it. And because all this, all the, what they were seeing was all they really thought about, they weren't really focused on the, the great things Christ has in store for those he has rescued and redeemed. So I hope week by week here we're chipping away at excuses, but I want to just ask as we finish up today, are we still trying to hand God our excuses or is our faith growing strong enough that we might be willing to do what others simply won't? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to spend time like this, gathered together, worshiping you, focusing on who you are, and seeing the difference that you make in a person's life. Lord, we know that it's so easy during our course of life here on this earth to get so caught up with worldly things and worldly debates and arguments about this and arguments about that and lose all sight of what you have in store for all those who know you. Lord, our time on this earth is so brief, and in the midst of this time, you've given us hope beyond our earthly circumstances. You've given us your strength. You've given us your power. You keep opening up doors for us to walk through. You've allowed us to meet different people that encourage us and inspire us, and then you allow us to meet other people that you've given us the specific calling to serve. And so, Lord, it's interesting to be able to look at a portion of Scripture like we looked at today because it's, it's not selfish at all. It's a portion of Scripture that's clearly inspired by the selfless activity of your Son, Jesus Christ the things that your Son demonstrated for us, the things that your Son did on our behalf. So, Lord, we pray that that would be the type of thing that we would keep in in mind and that we would take to heart and that we would find that deeply inspiring as we seek to be men and women who put you first and stop offering you our excuses. Lord, as we look at a variety of things, 
related to our calling, as, we, as we're spending a good amount of time thinking about it and looking at the variety of scriptures that you've given to us that speak of this very subject, Lord, we pray that each week our, our excuses would be chipped away and that you'd egg us on and that you'd open our eyes to see some things that maybe have been right in front of us, but they just haven't caught our attention yet, and that you would just make us sensitive to the opportunities to glorify your name that are right in front of us. So, Lord, thank you for those privileges. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to look at how that worked out in Paul's life. And again, Lord, we pray that we would be men and women who have very sensitive consciences, that our conscience would be sensitive to your leading, that as your spirit speaks to our minds and speaks to our hearts and applies the teaching of your word to our day-to-day lives, that we would understand what you're communicating to us and that this wouldn't just be words that we read about and contemplate for a moment but never actually put into practice. We pray that these would be things that we take action on and that we live out. And again, we're so thankful, Lord, that, that you've divinely revealed these things to us in your word, and then you've given us access to that very word. So we're grateful, Lord, for your blessings, and we're grateful just for the opportunity to be inspired by what we see in your word as we start off our week together. We commit ourselves to you now, Lord, and we pray that you would work through us in ways that surprise even us, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.